at this point, we're, <laughs> we're really down to the biggie. Let's have a, a little word from that eminent producer-director from Warner Brothers, Mr. Frank Sinatra. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This is it. We shall fasten our seat belts, start the countdown, because we are about 20 seconds from blast-off in what, after 36 years, is still the most important single honor in the entire world for those of us who are engaged in the exciting and sometimes heartbreaking business of putting the living image of humanity on a beam of light. She nearly lost her bird. <laughs> Tom Jones, Tony Richardson. We are all of us as God made us, and many of us much worse. Tom Jones was much, much, much worse. The whole world loves Tom Jones. I shall always aim to despise the old sex on account of you, Tom! The world of excitement. The world of spectacle. The world of laughter. The world of adventure. The world of romance. It's a good night to be abroad and looking for game. Ah, <laughs> Tom. The whole wide, wonderful, wicked world loves Tom Jones. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 36th episode of Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where we travel through time reviewing the films that earn their gold statue or standard, if you will. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me at the Gold Standard Theatre are my two podcasting partners in crime. On one side, the lady who is doing a fabulous job in hooking us up with some fabulous guests for the podcast, our very own talent scout, Rachel Friend. Hey, Rachel, how are you today? Yeah, I know people who know people who know people. <laughs> and we very much appreciate you, you know, for hooking us up with these great folks and definitely look forward to having them on the podcast. And on the other, the lady who recently got to visit the ocean planet of Caladan, Zan Sprouse. Hey, Zan, how are you and how was Dune? Dune was unreal. It was one of the greatest, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen and one of the best adaptations of a novel i've ever seen i cannot say enough good things about it i'm so excited that part two has been officially greenlit and i hate that i have to wait two years for it <laughs> yeah that's quite a, a wait for sure i've heard i've definitely heard great things about it and i would definitely have to get myself either to a theater or something because I definitely want to see it i've heard so much about it so before we actually do go any further i did think it would be fun to mention that on the day of this recording and this episode coming out Best Picture winner, How Green Was My Valley, is blowing out 80 candles today. So I'm sure Rachel will be celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, if you've not checked out that review, folks, feel free to do so. We did have a fun time, and we're actually joined there by Ben and Nat from Back to the Movies podcast. That was a quite, a quite fun discussion. But back to the matter of at hand, of course. Today we are reviewing Tom Jones, directed by Tony Richardson. This was based on the novel The History of Tom Jones, A Foundling by Henry Fielding. The screenplay was by John Osborne, and the original score was by John Addison. Unless, but to put in money, this movie cost $8 million to make and made $318 million at the box office, opening over here in Italy in Venice on September the 29th of 1963, and has a runtime of roughly two hours and eight minutes. So actually starting here with first impressions here, uh, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of Tom Jones? I believe you'd actually watched this way back when. 
Yes, I had seen this. It had been a long time, though. And I, this movie has a lot of faults. You know, people are, people are just jerks in this movie. (laughs) And they make bad decisions and they treat each other terrible. But this movie is funny. Um, It's, it's very funny. It's very clever. And I think it's, it really is to me the first in that genre that we saw in the, that really flourished in the 60s of being this period piece comedy that's not a, that's not a musical. You know, you had these sort of farcical comedies that came out of the 60s that were historical, something like this, or Start the Revolution Without Me. I'm thinking of some things like that. Um, I love the breaking of the fourth wall in this movie. I think that makes it very clever and very funny, especially the scene where um, uh, he's he's yelling at the the innkeeper for stealing his five hundred pounds, and he looks at the camera. Did you see her take this from me? <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's I think it's very cute. Um, it's one of those where I don't necessarily think that the two protagonists should be together, but I really hate the antagonist, so I'm glad that they lose. It's what like a you know or like a. Um, uh, uh, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that movie? Oh my gosh, I can't. I'll come back to it. Um, but yeah, I think this is an ador- I think this is an adorable movie, and it, it's fun to watch it when you realize how often it's been parodied. Um, specifically, the 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 eating scene where they're trying to be sexy <laughs> over like legs of turkey and stuff. It's so disgusting, but. It, the two times that I can think of that I think it was parodied wonderfully, uh, first of all, of course, The Simpsons mm-hmm. um, in the season one episode where Grandpa meets his girlfriend, B. Simmons, played by the amazing Audrey Meadows, uh, who um, was on The Honeymooners, um, Alice Crandon on The Honeymooners, where they're across the table from each other, like sexily taking their medication. Yes. That's, that's a parody of this movie. And then... Um, Late, a few years after this movie, uh, Jim Henson made his Oscar-winning short film called Timepiece. And they have a scene in Timepiece exactly like this, where they're just eating big, like, hocks of ham and turkey and lobster, and they're just getting it all over their face, and it's disgusting, and it's a it's a really good parody. Um, but the... Like I said, yeah, it's an interesting movie, because you kind of hate everybody, but... And and you're the people you're rooting for. You're rooting for because you hate everybody more than you hate them. Right. Um, I think the women in this movie are very interesting. You know, they're they're kind of um, they're they're kind of helping each other, and then the ones who don't help each other are terrible. Um, the the fact that we had this woman who gets fired from her job because everybody thinks it's her illegitimate child. And I'm just going to say, thank God it's not, because that's, <laughs> this movie starts to get real creepy real fast, but it, it, it directs itself. Um, no, Tom Jones does not have sex with his mother. There's not, there's not an actual Oedipal complex in Tom Jones. <laughs> um, because she's keeping the secret for Bridget. She kept the secret all these years, you know, at the expense of her job and at, you know, at the expense of herself. But then you, but then you have people like, who, who you know who tell the dad from Mary Poppins hey do you know how to rape somebody that's how you can get married to her so you just you have all these terrible people and then even Tom Jones it's like you kind of want to like him but he's really kind of a jerk 
but he's less of a jerk than, than um, Bliffle, the David Warner's character. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an interesting movie where it doesn't really give you anybody to root for. It more gives you people to root against. Mm. And it's, it's funny. It's clever. It's, and I think, you know, as evidenced in, in that dinner scene, it's sort of making fun of the time and how gross everything was and how disgusting everything was. And it, it does, it does make fun of the system at the time, you know, the whole, it, it, there's so much slut shaming, you know, it, it's, oh, yeah. you know, she's the harlot, but Tom's the one that got her pregnant. Okay, whatever. Um, so there's a lot going on here to unravel. And, but I, like I said, I still think it's funny. I think it's clever. I think everybody does a great job. And I think Albert Finney is absolutely adorable in this movie and he this is the movie that made him a star and even though he made some sort of you know questionable decisions after that (laughs) but (laughs) um you know i grew up absolutely loving albert finney you know because i grew up with annie and um my mother is a is a big fan of um the movie two for the road with audrey hepburn which is one of the best romantic comedies ever made again highly parodied especially in an an episode of the simpsons um but yeah this is this is really enjoyable to watch and by the end of it you're just you're you're really glad that he wins because you're just really glad that everybody else loses (laughs) (laughs) yes very very true and rachel i know this was a first time watch for you so yeah what did you make of this Ah, uh, the the fact that this happens to be the anniversary of the <laughs> agreement with my valley is telling, because I hated this. Ooh. <laughs> I this movie is just an absolute mess. I had I struggled so much to try to keep track of what was going on. The the because the this this is what we. <laughs> I think the only maybe good thing I could take from this is this probably opened the door for the this type of s- storytelling, kind of this nonsensical, crazy camera angles, you know, speeding up, you know, people chasing each other with crazy s- sound effects breaking the fourth wall for like Monty Python in like mm-hmm. another decade. Um so I, I guess I can think. Let's of be that. honest, perfected the historical comedy. <laughs> yes, exactly. But this movie is just an absolute mess. And you know, I'm watching it, and you know, stuff is happening, and stuff is happening, more stuff is happening, and Tom Jones is just bouncing from one woman to another, even though he claims to love this woman and wants to marry her, but can't because she's. You know, she's above his station, yet how, like, just because her father is a squire, because her father seems like a complete ass. Yeah. Uh, it's like, and she's considered ho- above Tom Jones? This, ugh, yeah. Um, we'll get into that when we talk about the this, this different characters. But, it, like, he just kept finding himself in these predicaments and people being mad at him and he'd be sleeping about people and this that and the other thing and they're like oh yeah he's going to be hanged and i'm looking at the 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 play bar on the movie and there's like there's still 12 minutes left and i'm like how is there still 12 minutes left in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes it's not a good sign if you're looking at the runtime i think yeah <laughs> well i i see that 12 I mean- minutes is a lot 
Yes, it can feel like an eternity. I, yeah. I agree. And yeah, I mean, this this was a first time watch for me as well. And there were times where, like you, Rachel, I was thinking to myself, what am I watching exactly? As it gave me, like you were pointing also out, that vibe of Benny Hill, Blackadder, Monty Python, kind of all rolled into one. I mean, it is very much a bawdy and messy movie. But at the same time, I did find it fun and way over the top in many respects between also how easily people hop into bed with each other to the crazy plot points to every woman being incredibly shapely and more besides. And I would almost define it like bucolic debauchery with class because there were moments in this film where things did seem to happen rather conveniently. And I suppose that like the book, it can kind of be chalked up to divine providence but this, I mean, it's a fun movie all around. It is a mess, but it is fun. And it is clear that not only, for, for, you also have some incredibly explicit sexual content and language that we are, it's clear that we are way past any kind of code. And I was, <laughs> and I was actually surprised at some of the phrases that some characters got away with. What I also thought was also worthy of mention is that earlier this month, we now have a jukebox musical called What's New Pussycat, which opened on October the 19th in, uh, in, Birmingham, in Birmingham in in the UK. And it's literally a jukebox musical based on Henry Fielding's novel featuring Tom Jones songs. So, and it is set in... Because he bet, because Tom Jones is his stage name, it's not his birth name, and he picked it from this. There you go. Exactly. And it is set in 1960s London. So I guess, Rachel, you know, you kind of called this at the end of last episode because uh, now we actually do have a musical with, you know, the story from from Henry Fielding. Now I can Tom sing Tom What's Tom's. New Pussycat and it'd be appropriate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, all in the words, it is messy, but I did have fun with this one, even though, though there were some points were like, huh, what did they do? And uh, how did that happen? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a crazy ride indeed. So let's kick off looking at our characters on the board, starting with our titular character, as Zan was mentioning, the Albert Finney, of course, as Tom Jones, whom our listeners might know from Annie, of course, Scrooge, Erin Brockovich, one of my favorite films, Big Fish, two Bourne films, and even Skyfall. So, Rachel, when it came to you, what did you make of our protagonist? Okay, so here's the thing is Tom as a, as a person has a lot of faults and he just follows his nether brain uh, <laughs> to wherever it leads him. <laughs> um, it, so he makes a lot of dumb decisions just because he's a horny male. Um, but at the same time, like some of the issues that people, some of the people have with him, like his tutors and his cousin slash half brother that we find out later, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, some of the issues that they have with him, like, you know, hunting with the wrong people, uh, you know, sneaking onto other people's lands, not bothering with his studies and stuff is like, you know, people think, you know, oh, you should try to better yourself. But at the same time, he's constantly being told how low class he is because he's a bastard. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, how do you expect him to actually give a crap about other people's opinions of him and try to do anything to to better himself, maybe better his station in life when he's constantly being told that he's crap. So he's he's fighting against a system, a class system that is really losing battle. So I think it, at some point in his young life, he's just decided, well, you know, I can't win for trying, so I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want and whatever makes me happy. Um, just... It unfortunately it gets him into these situations where um, doing just what makes you happy and what brings you pleasure, there can be consequences <laughs> to some of his decisions. Um, so yeah, just that was a one thing that frustrated me, at least as far as the storytelling, is just like you know these you know you have these people that it's like oh he's so handsome. Um, and you know these women throwing their throwing themselves at him, and he's just like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's go, let's go for a roll in the <laughs> in the in the weeds here or uh, whatever. And even even the women that know that he's in love with Sophie. Um, are still throwing themselves at him because they know he's going to do it. Because uh, <laughs> uh, he, he he just has no self he has no self control. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about the ending. But yeah, I'm kind of with Zan that Sophie would be much better off. <laughs> Going elsewhere, if you know, even if even if he did stop his philandering ways because he truly loves her, the amount of women that he's been with and the things he's been through 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 the diseases that he's probably carrying, yes, Sophie needs to stay far far away if she doesn't want to die young <laughs> from some disease. Yeah, because he never has sex anywhere clean. Like <laughs> there isn't anywhere clean, really. So. Yeah, good point. Yeah, excellent point. It's 18th century England, so you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. I guess that I guess Sophie's definitely going to talk about protection. I mean, seriously, but uh, or any kind of uh, hygiene. I think indeed that's that was kind of going through my head a lot as I was watching this film. And uh, Zan, what did you, what did you make of Tom? Yeah, Tom. Uh, uh, Tom is very charming and all that that implies. Um, a lot of times people who are very charming are also extremely selfish and cads. <laughs> and Tom is the perfect example of that. Um, I think he really does love Sophie, but um, just can't help himself as, you know, as they say. And it's almost like it's almost like they're saying that his philandering is sort of, it's almost like his philandering is a commentary on his class yeah. because, you know, everybody is kind of <sighs> expecting this from him the way they're expecting it from these body country girls that just can't, that just can't resist sex for some reason. So it's almost like this, he, he is this, low-born person in this high-born family 
but he just can't keep it together because, you know, what, what do you expect from him? He's a bastard. Like, like that's anything he had any control over. <laughs> so it's almost, it's almost like, well, what do you, what do you want? Here's this, here's this handsome, here's this handsome bastard that has no right to be in this position. Yet here he is. He, of course he's going to do the wrong things and um, go the wrong places. And they, they almost really sort of blame the women. There, there's a lot of slut shaming going on in this movie, mm-hmm. oh, um, yes. which like I said, is, is fine with me mm-hmm. because of not only the time it's portraying, but it also lets us have a conversation about slut shaming and why it's a problem. Um, so, you know, they're blaming these country girls. They're blaming these, um, these, uh, these, um, amoral wenches <laughs> for his behavior. But you know, it, it's almost like he has been let go in a, he's a kid in a candy store, really. I mean, he's Albert Finney in 1963. I mean, who doesn't want to have sex with Albert Finney in 1963? <laughs> he's not my type. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he, he, he definitely does it for me in this movie. I think he is adorable in this. Like the, the scene that I see most photographed of him is when he's in bed with the broken arm. Yeah, where he has that little that little shy grin. Oh, he's so cute. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm also a uh, I'm also a big fan of David Warner, but not in this movie. He's so he's so terrible in this movie that it's hard to think he's attractive. <laughs> um, but yeah, so here's here he's this, this good looking guy that everybody sort of simultaneously judges and feels bad for because, like I said. You know, bastards, as much as people don't want them in their society, they really have no control over their situation. Mm-hmm. And as as we see in this movie, everybody always blames the mother for this, even though we see how common being raped is, yet let's still mm-hmm. blame the mother for this kind of situation. Um, so, and, you know, even being, you know, even being raped by your husband, as, as we see with um, Sophie's cousin. But we don't we don't really blame Tom. It's like, we don't want Tom around our daughters, but Oh yeah, get you some Tom, that kind of, that kind of attitude, which we all know is ridiculous. And I think this movie does a good job of showing us that that's ridiculous. You know, Hugh Griffith's character is so unpleasant. (laughs) You just want to say anything that you think I probably don't want to believe because you're just a terrible person. Um, And like I said, Tom, you you want to like him and you want to root for him and Sophie, but then he goes and has sex with Molly again or um, has sex with somebody who turns out to thankfully not be his mother. Um, and, you know, has sex with, uh, I can't even think of her name right now. I don't know why. I'm not Lady Belliston. Yes. Belliston, Lady Belliston. Yeah. He has sex with her. Although, and, and they even sort, sort of say like, well, she seduced him with like, you know, you know, you can say no, people. You know, it's a, it's 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 real. And she's one of the you people know. that knows that he is in love with Sophie, and the reason he came to the party yeah. and was constantly asking her about Sophie. Exactly, she's the one that sent him the, the the invitation to the ball, and she just she thinks he's cute and wants her for herself. Wants him for herself. She's a terrible person. Um, but you know, as as much as I think it's a horrible thing to say to a woman, you can just say no. 
when a man's only real seduction is that she's buying you nice clothes, you can definitely walk away from that. You are in no physical danger, sir. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to say there's a little bit of a double standard, but being forced onto a, onto a chair by David Tomlinson and being bought clothes, very different things, okay? Um, so it, like I said, in the end of this, I'm glad Tom isn't dead. I'm glad we find out who Tom's actual parentage is because the two people they thought were his parents were absolutely not their parent, his parents. Um, and I'm glad that he gets to be, I don't want to say redeemed for lack of a better term, but, um, he is sort of, he is sort of redeemed where, you know, Allworthy is like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I cast you out, my boy. Please forgive me. You're actually my nephew, meaning he's David Warner's brother, but obviously older. So he's the heir now. And you're like, oh, this is this is kind of weird that they like only like him again because now they know he actually is highborn, even though still a bastard, but highborn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're just kind of glad because you hate David Warner so much. You hate Glyphel so much. Um but you know, I'm really glad he doesn't he doesn't get killed because it's you know it, it's true that um, he you know the, the the guy he stabbed first of all a didn't die second of all b is the one that challenged him <laughs> so it's not he started it <laughs> he started it you know he yeah he yeah he started it but um, Tom Jones just finished it so. You know, you're glad that somebody was able to write an injustice. I kind of worry. I kind of feel bad for that other guy who was in the cart to be hanged with Tom Jones. Like, what happens to him? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is he like, is anybody going to come forward and tell me that I'm a nephew of, of somebody and I have money? Like, it's like, I just I feel like there would be like an after credit screen scene where that guy gets gets hanged because they just kind of forget about him. They're also happy about Tom Jones. So. You know, it's like I'm happy for him that he doesn't die when he shouldn't. And I'm happy for him that he finds out his parentage. But I still think the whole system is full of crap. The whole, um, we're going to overlook the fact that you're a bastard now that we know that you are my actual nephew. Um, we're not going to really talk about the fact that um, my sister sired a, a bastard with my lawyer over here. And uh, we're just going to be happy that you're my heir and you can come is back. Is that and is? I never even caught that, that who his true father was. I just know that the one guy he thought was his father wasn't actually his father, but I didn't, I didn't catch that who his, his biological father was. <laughs> that's what, that's what I thought it was. Um, I, I don't, but, I, don't uh, know, I don't know if that was actually clearly explained. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, um, it, it's, uh, it's not terribly, terribly explained, but that's how I caught it. Maybe I'm, Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm not. I, um, I would believe you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's it's just that's what it, I'd, I'd have to watch it again. But that's how I always sort of read it. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you're you're you know, you're glad that Blithel gets his just desserts. You're glad Tom doesn't die. But are you glad that he ends up with Sophie? Not really. Um, and even um, Squire Western, Hugh Griffith's character, it's like all of a sudden he's like, oh. Like he turns on a dime. Oh, you're actually Allworthy's nephew. Okay, well, I've always liked daughter. that kid. 
Yeah, exactly. I've always liked that kid. You got money, right? You got you got cash, don't you? Um, yeah, go take your go take your syphilitic penis over to my daughter. <laughs> it's, like, it's like really, this is what we're doing here. Okay, I guess fine. So um, it's like you like Tom, but he's that guy that we all know that is really charming, really cute, really fun to be with, but like you warn all your friends not to go out with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. This he's, is the- you're never, he's a good friend, but he's a, he's a terrible boyfriend. And anytime your, your girlfriends are like, so who's your friend, Tom? No, don't, don't, don't even think about it. <laughs> this is yeah. just going to end heart, heartache and syphilis for you. Yeah. Especially <laughs> back then when condoms were made out of sheep guts. Yeah. No, stay away from Tom. Very much so. And, and, you know, when you said, when you mentioned the fact of obviously that we find out that he is the heir, uh, Zan, it made me think of another Simpsons moment where, oh, my God, the bastard's rich. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, um, I, 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 I guess I, I, I kind of agree with you guys. I mean, I guess Tom is that lovable rascal, I suppose, and the bad boy, which seemingly every woman falls head over heels for. And I think he does, of course, very much embrace that lifestyle of wine, women, and song. And I guess maybe he is also a stereotype, if you will, of the period, which I think is probably what also Henry Fielding was getting at in his novel. And and yeah, yet I think he is a good guy at heart, despite his excesses and his libertine ways. I mean, Tim, it's all about having fun, while at the same time, like you guys were pointing out, his heart pines for Sophie. And we see he can be kind. And he does have a lot of love for his, you know, apparently adoptive father at first, Squire Allworthy. And I think he does seem to also have a very bright-eyed view of the world for the most part. And he seems to care somewhat for everybody he meets. And, you know, he very, very much may be a rogue, but I think he's got a heart at the same time. And and he is, of course, clearly aware of the desirable nature of his appearance. And he does use this to his advantage when needed, like uh, like you guys were pointing out, he allows himself, I think, to be seduced by Lady Lady Belliston. But to him, it is a win-win situation, as I guess in his mind, he's getting sex and at the same time, hopefully getting news on Sophie and her whereabouts. So I guess being the horny puppy that he is, I guess it works for him. And and yes, in that case, he is very sort of, I guess one could almost say a, a hedonist in his own way. And I feel that to him, sex is purely a vehicle of pleasure rather than an expression of emotion. So I think that is very much like the, the idea of the, the stereotype of the, the, the hedonist uh, character who can get women at, a, at the drop of a hat. And I think he will literally sleep with any woman who will make eyes at him, be it Molly Seagram or even Mrs. Waters. And I guess despite being the sex machine and possessing this animal magnetism, I guess he wants to very much help those he can help. And he is loyal to his friends and those he cares about. And more often than not, tends to find himself in dangerous or threatening situations. One, of course, because of his terrible decisions, but also it seems his also circumstance. And this made me think of a TV show that I have brought up multiple times, both on this podcast and other, and other places too. And I proudly own the DVD of this. And that is The Storyteller. As Tom very much um, reminds me of the luck child from that story, because, you know, you hear about this, the story of the luck child who in fairy tales, no matter what happens to him, 
fate or divine providence or luck intervenes and it gets him out of trouble. And that very much seems to be the case with him, is that just when things seem to be turning pear-shaped for him, divine providence intervenes and, you know, everything works out for him in the end. So I think that is also maybe a narrative trope of the time, thinking of, of course, you know, the time Henry Fielding wrote this book. And then later on, it would be a big thing narrative-wise as well about divine providence stepping in to help our heroes. So, yeah, I, I agree he is a bit, of, a bit uh, selfish, but at the same time, I think in his own way, he does care for people, I think. But, but yeah, he is so sex-driven, it's crazy. So let's get to the woman Tom seemingly loves most of all and risks being killed multiple times over for Susanna York, of course, as Sophie Weston, who my listeners might know from Jane Eyre, Superman 1 and 2, Freud, and they shoot horses, don't they? So, uh, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of Sophie Weston? I feel so bad for Sophie having to live during this time period in history. <laughs> um, she's such a sweet girl, but she's getting it from all sides. You know, she has this horrible drunken father who's just gross and very sexist and claims to love her. But the second he finds out she likes him, likes Tom Jones, oh, I'll disown her. And then she has this um, this aunt from the city who's like, you know, whatever. The, you know, you country people can't possibly understand what real class is all about. And um she's she's not necessarily in an area with a lot of prospects <laughs> no. um, when her aunt assumes that she's in love with Blithel because she can tell she's in love with somebody and Blithel's the only one who's even worthy of her station I mean not worthy of her as a person but worthy of her as her from her name and her station in in society um the fact that he is so incredibly disinterested in her I think might be a little bit of a nod towards like Blithel might be a little bit homosexual. Um, Maybe. That's at least, that's at least how I thought, I thought of the, uh, the character because he's so interested in the concept of holy matrimony. And I feel like he's there maybe saying like, Oh, if I get married, this problem I have will go away. You know, he's not interested in her per se. He's interested in marriage either because um you know, to hide his quote unquote dirty little secret or because what he's really interested in is money. Maybe he's asexual and all he wants is money and stay in standing. Mm. Um, but yeah, terrible person. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, she's got him. And then of course there's, you know, David Tomlinson who needs to die. He's horrible. Um, and, you know, Tom Jones, they have fun together. You can see in their montage that they, have a good time together dancing. And, you know, I love that scene where he's rowing the, you know, she's rowing the boat and he's smoking the pipe and then he's rowing the boat and she's smoking the pipe. I think that's adorable. Um, they definitely get along. They definitely have fun together. They definitely mesh as people, except that he's just a cat, you know, he's a womanizing cat. So she, you know, she's unfortunately in love with the best looking guy in the country that she lives in, but he's terrible. So she doesn't have a lot of prospects. She's a woman. There's no way she could inherit her father's land by herself. Um, and everybody seems to be against her. You know, you've got, like I said, her father's terrible. Her aunt is terrible. Um, and she has that cousin that tries to help her out. And she's like, what are you doing here? I'm running away from home. Oh, me too. Get in my get in my cab and we'll go to my house. We'll stay there together. 
you know, she's got that one cousin, but then, you know, Lady Belliston's terrible to her. And it's, you know, and it's unfortunate because again, you know, with a woman character from this part of history, you're not going to get a ton of uh, backstory on her, a ton of character development on her, but you can tell she definitely wants to be more independent than anybody wants to let her be. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just has, she has no prospects, really, no good prospects. You know, at, Tom really is the lesser of the evils. And I don't know, maybe he will change his ways. Who knows? I mean, you know, I, li- I would like to think positive things for Sophie, at least. Um, but, you know, I thought she was a wonderful character for showing you how grim it was for women during this time period. You know, you have to choose from, you know, you, you get to choose from Blithel, you get to choose from Tom Jones, who's a womanizer, you get to choose from Lord Felimar, who is a potential rapist. And if you don't pick any of them, or if you pick the wrong one, your father's going to lock you up like Rapunzel. And there's nothing you can personally do except sit there and wait to either be a spinster or a wife to someone who is not that great to you. Um, so I think she's a good character for explaining to you why this is a bad time for women. And I think Susanna York did a fantastic job. Um, and I do love that we, even though we don't get much for this character, we do get the fact that there's more to this relationship with her and Tom than just the fact that he's cute and she's beautiful. You know, they really do enjoy each other's company. They really do have a fun time. And she's probably raised to believe that this is just what men do, that when women seduce them, they just fall for it. Cause that's, that's how they are. And, you know, I like the fact that she has, she should have more qualms about the fact that he's a womanizer, mm. but she has no qualms about the fact that he's a bastard. It doesn't matter to her because they, you know, they were kind of brought up in the same way. They have similar they have, they have similar backgrounds in the sense that they grew up in the same place and they grew up with the same people and they grew up learning the same things. It's not like he's going to be, you know, a little foreshadowing to next year. He's not going to be the male My Fair Lady for her. She's not going to have to bring him into high society and teach him how to act at tea parties or something. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I love the fact that she's willing to overlook that kind of stuff, but not willing to overlook the woman. Mm. Yeah, that, that I agree. And Rachel, what did you make of Superman's birth, Mama? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's okay. She's just kind of the women during this time period, like Sam was saying. It's it's just not ideal. Um, and yeah, she, you know, she's got. Uh, these expectations set upon her because she is a woman of, you know, high enough station just because her father's got a a title of some sort. Um, And um, yeah, so she's expected to marry well. um, And uh, obviously marrying a, a bastard is, would be a big no, no, but the fact that she doesn't care that Tom is a bastard um, which, like we said, technically he still is, 
but I guess he's more a more legitimate bastard. Is that a, if that's a possible thing? Uh, <laughs> um, but she's she's definitely very headstrong, um, and uh, wants to seemingly push against the expectations of her both the big ones of you know marrying well but also even just the you know entertain our guests after supper with your music you know it's like you're 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 just you're just here to entertain us um and uh you know she tries to tries to get out of it um and uh eventually you know runs away with her lady in waiting, I guess, um, and ends up in these weird situations, and her and Tom's past keep crossing. Which, you know, I know this is you know 18th century England, but it, you know cities aren't nearly and towns aren't nearly as big as they are now. But you know, there's a lot of countryside here, and they just happen to keep passing each other. <laughs> Even though Tom got, you know, several days head start and would stop and, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I, yeah, the fact that her cousin, no, because Fitzgerald is her cousin, mm-hmm. so uh, Belliston's not related to any of them. She's just the nice lady that's letting him live at her house. She's just a society woman that is trying to, quote-unquote, help, because she's kind of a bitch. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Again, trying to keep everybody straight. Well, we'll talk about Boston. She's awful. Yeah. So so some of the things that she she does. Um, And, you know, even there, she's being, you know, Sophie's being used as an object, you know, as as a pawn in someone else's schemes, societal schemes. Um, and, you know, after all of this, you know, Tom comes bursting, you know, at the end of the movie, Tom comes bursting in the room and kisses her and it's like, oh, yeah, happy ever after. And I'm like, ugh, girl. <laughs> oh. Stay in London, find another guy, you can do so much better. Yeah. I was like, even, even without the sleeping around, all just like the other adventures he's been in, like constantly, like, yeah, like when he uh, shows up and uh, we see Sophie for the first time and falls in the water saving the bird. And then we get the montage of them, you know, hanging out while his arm is healing. And he, again, he goes running into water to pick a flower or something. Mm-hmm. And he's constantly ending up in dirt and mud and all sorts of things. Like the man's got, I'm sure, so many diseases. Just, <laughs> no, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> yes, you you and kind of being in the water is making him probably have some sort of fleshing virus. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess Sophie can do better. And yeah, I, she did somewhat remind me of the character of Elizabeth Swan, played by Kira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean. And and I feel if they ever did a remake of this, Kira Knightley, I think, would be perfect as Sophie. Oh it's, yeah, because she's she's the she's the 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 queen of period pieces you know you mm-hmm. need a, a young 
fresh face something or other for your for your period piece that's who you hire exactly Kira Knightley is definitely the go-to in that and I mean I may also make that comparison because I think like Elizabeth she is a dutiful daughter with a rebellious streak and who will not stand for an arranged marriage with the terrible Bliffle which is a similar situation obviously in which Elizabeth Swan finds herself in and it must definitely yeah, at least Elizabeth Swan's father he's he may not be the brightest crayon in the box but uh he's at least not a drunk <laughs> yes, agreed. And he doesn't sleep with the hogs and in the meantime is kind of, uh, should we say, having sex with the help while he's sleeping with the pigs. Yes, this is true. Um, I mean, it must obviously not be easy, in fact, living in a household where a man like Squire Weston is your father. But I think she does a great job of dealing with it and is as rebellious as a woman could be during those times. I mean, granted, of course, values have changed but yeah, like you guys were pointing out, she does not seem to have any problem with the fact that Tom constantly st sleeps around, even though he claims to love her like he does. And Sophie knows exactly what is going on when it comes to the multiple affairs that Tom has going on. And I guess this was customary at the time. Yet she, I'm glad that she, at least she does draw the line for a brief period when Tom is accused of rape. And when she finds out he's going to allegedly marry Lady Belliston, yet by movie's end, all is forgiven and explained. And I guess you have to take it for what it is. But I'm like, yeah, this is another case of the hero being forgiven way too easily. So I guess things go so well for, for Mr. Tom Jones. It's just crazy and very, very unreal. So let's look at two prominent members of the Weston family, in particular, Sophie's father, Squire Weston, played by Hugh Griffith, who, of course, we had met in Ben-Hur, and his sister, Miss Weston, played by Dame Edith Evans, who my listeners might know from The Chalk Garden, The Whisperer, and The Importance of Being Earnest. So, Rachel, starting with you, what did you make of uh, Sophie's parents, or should we say Sophie's dad and, uh, and her aunt? Uh, well, apparently Hugh Griffith was drunk pretty much the entire time we were making this movie. <laughs> Um, and the, the, the scene where, uh, he, um, he goes and speaks to Tom's uncle and he takes off in his horse. He just kind of goes into a few circles in his horse and then falls over. That actually was not part of the script that that, that was because, um, Hugh Griffith was just piss ass drunk and uh, if it wasn't for the fact that he was drunk when the horse fell over he probably would have been seriously injured uh, <laughs> kind of like when someone drives drunk you know and they get into an accident they, they don't tend to get harmed because their bodies are so relaxed <laughs> so the muscles aren't tense so, so you're less likely to get harmed apparently that's what happened with Hugh Griffith um, so yeah, if he if he, if he, if you thought that his acting drunk was uh you know just really good acting on his he wasn't acting he was piss ass drunk this entire movie, um, which <laughs> knowing that doesn't make the doesn't make the character any better actually because I just I just found him so creepy just absolutely creepy, um, and I just like and and I was like she comes from this. Sophie comes from this, yet Tom would be considered below her. 
right. You know, I just want to be like Dr. Evil and be like, right. You know, <laughs> it's like, um, so yeah, the, yeah, he's just, he's useless, really. Other than the fact that he just happens to show up at the same time that his daughter is about to get raped, um, is, about his only redeeming quality and that's just pure coincidence really because he was there looking for tom jones to kick his ass i think more than anything um so um yeah he's just he's just useless and uh, you know again you know as as much as i'm bemoaning the fact that sophie shouldn't marry tom because of all of his faults does tom really want this guy as a father-in-law mm-hmm so, um, and then the, the, the aunt is, she, I mean, she's just your stereotypical butting in nosy, you know, family member, in this case, an aunt, um, who, you know, comes from a slightly different background and knows things and you know she because she's from the city you know she's from london um and you know because they're constantly talking about oh you country folk um and uh trying to strong arm her way into what she thinks is in sophie's best interest and um Although it's, you know, she means well, and actually, when she finds out that she's got the wrong, you know, <laughs> young man at the the Alworthy estate, wrong, you know, she's not. Uh, she admits that you know, <clears throat> uh, sees that she's uh, made the wrong assumption, but um, yeah, yeah, she's just a she's just a nosy old bitty that. Probably should have just stayed out of out of the way. <laughs> there was, some of this fiasco probably still would have happened even if she hadn't gotten involved. But true, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. You know, but she she could have. I definitely sort of butted out and uh, and and kind of minded her own business. I do agree. <laughs> and Zan, what did you make of the westerns? Yeah, they're terrible people. Um, just. <laughs> Like Rachel was saying, um, you know, I, personally, I think it's a testament to Hugh Griffiths that he does such a good job, even though I don't know if he even remembered making this movie. He was so drunk during the making of it. Um, he's that he's perfect for this for this role. I mean, he's, you know, he's disgusting. I mean, he's he's so gross, you know, with like slapping people on the ass and eating with his mouth open and just drinking and being, you know, disgusting and hot-headed. You know, one minute he loves his daughter more than his own soul. The next minute he'll disinherit her. Um, and he's, and what, like Rachel said, you know, it just, it's, it's lucky that he showed up when David Tomlinson was there, but that's not why he was there. Although I will say that is the one redeeming quality of his character is that he does see somebody trying to attack his daughter. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to murder you if you don't get the hell out of this room right now. So, um, you know, deep down, I think he means well, but he's also been brought up in this system of, you know, men are superior, women are here for my entertainment, and um, we have rules, and I'm highborn, I can do whatever I want, and just like Rachel was saying, Tom Jones is such, 
such a gentleman compared <laughs> to Western that he is that you're, you're you're sitting there thinking like really this is the guy that's deciding who is and who isn't worthy of his daughter i mean he's not worthy of his daughter he's so gross um and like i said he turns on a dime and is oh you have money now and you're of the right station in life okay yeah go ahead marry my daughter even though i know you probably have syphilis and you know as for and taking bets that she's going to be popping out a kid night, you know, nine months in a day. From now. <laughs> that just that that sort of reminded me. I don't know if you guys watched the um, the last week tonight bit on Taiwan, where they they can't actually declare that they are their own sovereign nation because that would make China mad. Mm-hmm. And he says it's like it's something that everyone knows, but no one declares it. It's like when you meet the parents of your significant other. Everybody knows you're having sex with their child, but as soon as you declare it it becomes really awkward for everyone involved. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like when parents talk about like, oh, I suspect there'll be a baby soon. It's like, do you realize you're talking about how your kids are going to have sex tonight, right? I mean, you know that's what you mean when you say that. It always grosses me out when people say that like at weddings or something like that. Oh, I bet I'll have a grandson in nine months. It's like, ew, auntie, <laughs> that's disgusting. Stop talking like that. Um, I wish I knew what was up with this family <laughs> because... You know, the fact that you have this this sister who lives in the in the big city in London, um, she's and she's so down on country people. Like, did this family grow up in the country? Like, is is this a, a family home that she grew up in as well? Or is this one of those? Hey, I'm the distant nephew of the guy that had the country estate and I got this in his will. So I moved to the country. Or is she coming from this estate as well and then left to go to the city for school or to be married or something and now she's a widow and now she's looking down on country people? <laughs> it's, it's very interesting how she's she's talking about how the, the people in the country just cannot be t- trusted to, to be decent people when her family lives there too. Like, how did this happen? So I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm curious about where the... Um, animosity between well, I can understand her not liking him but him not liking her I'm curious um and why is she visiting is she just visiting to be, to be a fly in the ointment if she can't stand the country so much and she can't st- maybe she likes her niece I don't know how it works but yeah like Rachel was saying she's just a nosy old biddy that's getting in the way and not understanding and is understanding to a point I mean she has been a woman in this in this stupid system for longer than Sophie has, but she's also that resigned to the station thing because her station benefits her. You know, she married the guy that took her to London, possibly. And um, she's like, oh, whatever, just grin and bear it, lie back and think of England. I don't even know <laughs> what her advice would be in this kind of situation. So I really don't like either one of these characters all that much. And I don't think you're supposed to. Like I said before with Sophie, I think you're supposed to really feel bad for Sophie. And, and if you give her this terrible family, Tom is going to look much better. And Ooh. Tom does look better than being, you know, yeah, maybe Tom's had a couple of dates before her, but he's not going to lock her in, in the, uh, in the tower. Like she's Rapunzel or something. Oh yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that's, that's probably why, you know, obviously it's, it's to make probably Tom look more desirable and, you know, should we say <laughs> the, the best 
of the bunch, if you will. And I guess, yeah, if you do want to find a character who is all over the place and just as crazy as they come, definitely look no further than Squire Weston. And I have to hand it, though, to what is a standout performance from Hugh Griffith. He's all about his daughter marrying into nobility and not below her class when it comes to Tom. And it appears like status is very important to him. Yet his lifestyle is possibly even more bucolic and boorish than Tom, whom he hates as hell. And the, the guy does not exactly carry himself in a squirely manner compared to, say, Squire Allworthy. As this guy is sleeping among the farm animals and more often than not in company of one of the members of the house help whom he bedded the previous night or that same day. And I just I mean, I'm glad we didn't have smell vision because the smell would have been I don't know when this guy was around. I could, I could literally smell him psychologically because his hygiene is probably questionable and he does not exactly carry himself as a member of the aristocracy, yet he embraces what comes with being an aristocrat. And I feel this very much calls into question the main theme which is in the book, which is what makes a, per a person a virtuous person? Is it their status or is it the way they carry themselves? Which I think is kind of the question that Fielding poses to his readers. And I think maybe to some extent is what this movie is, is kind of putting as well, showing maybe also the hypocrisy of folks who have status but are actually, you know, literally pigs even though they have that status. I also, my theory was maybe- also, Literally pigs are literally sleeping with the pigs. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I almost wondered whether um, these were like nouveau riche because it's almost like maybe they came into money in some form or shape because, you know, you see how other people who maybe are from older money carry themselves compared to somebody like Weston. So I wonder whether it is almost a commentary on you found, like, like you were saying, Zan, maybe somebody left him something in the, the will, maybe his previous master whom he served under made him rich. So that's the, that's the kind of thing I thought it was maybe a nouveau riche kind of thing, but which actually brings me to his sister, who is the complete opposite of her brother. I mean, it seems like in her youth, she may have had a wild streak herself, but she carries herself in much more of a noble manner. And she does almost seem to stand her brother on sufferance and probably wishes he would carry himself more like Squire Allworthy. I, I guess also she's quite the feisty woman, as when her carriage is being held at gunpoint by the rather unsuccessful oh, Partridge. Yeah, she just completely ignores him and has her coachman drive on. You're like, oh, Partridge, you just can't get anything right. But I, I did love the chemistry between the Westerns, and they are very entertaining when they're both on screen. But yeah, I do think it, they're... The way that uh, Miss Weston you know, is there, you ask yourself, it makes me think of Italian older people over here, like especially older men who like to walk around the city and just look at people, uh, shall we say, on scaffolding and stuff and just commenting because they can. It's like looking over their pants nays going, hmm, he's doing that wrong and he's doing that wrong, you know, <laughs> even though they've got nothing to do with it. So it reminded me a little of the, uh, shall we say, the uh, senior citizens we get over here in Italy. <laughs> so speaking of opposites, let's get to the two fathers in Tom's life. We have the aforementioned George Devine as Squire Allworthy and Jack McGowan as Partridge, who's actually an actor who worked closely with none other than Samuel Beckett and is known, of course, to me in his role for his role in The Exorcist. So, Zan, when it comes to you, what did you make of, should we say, the two father figures in Tom's life? 
Um, yeah, Squire Allworthy is an interesting one because he really wants to believe in the best for Tom, but it's almost like he has this mentality that, you know, I did my best, but he's a bastard. What are you going to do? And then you just, you sort of wonder at the end of the movie, you're like, well, now, you know, he's not a bastard. Like <laughs> maybe could you admit that you were a bad parent? <laughs> like, <laughs> that could, that can possibly be what happened here. Um, but I, I like, he's, he's one of the few decent aristocratic characters in this, you know, he is a little bit, he is a little bit sexist. He is a little bit classist, but he really does truly believe uh, the best in people, which is why he winds up trusting idiots for too long. You know, he, he, he winds up, you know, trusting his, you know, his right hand men, you know, like, you know, listening to Thwackham and all those other idiots. And he trusts his nephew and, you know, you're thinking maybe if you were a little less trusting, you wouldn't have these morons in your life. Um, but, you know, I, I do like that he is he is at least willing at the end to to say. You know, I don't necessarily think that he's choosing Tom over his other nephew. He's basically saying um, you realize that you just. Hit a letter to me from my sister. Right. I mean, that's not cool. I, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, when he dis, when he disinherits uh, uh, Bliffle, it, it's 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 more about the fact that, you know, he did this heinous thing of hiding this letter that that came to him from his sister, supposedly to be, you know, to be read on her deathbed. Um, he knows that's wrong. He knows that's not what you're supposed to do, and he knows that he's just trying to look out for himself, and he doesn't like that about him anymore. He 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 realizes his true nature and. You know, if and I don't, you know, I don't know. Did he did he read the letter and figure out what was going on with Tom, or did he always know that Tom was his half brother and that's why he hated him? I don't know. We don't really get that much of exposition in this. Um, but either way, Allworthy is like, yeah, that was my sister's dying wish, and you screwed it. No, get out. You're, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with your stupid crap. And he, I mean, and he knows he knows that Bliffle is is a jerk. Um, you know, he knows that he opened the opened the cage and let the bird out and um, that he's just I mean, he's just I mean, David Warner's perfect for this because David Warner plays villains so well mm -hmm. that just you see him on screen and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't trust this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I like that about this character, even though he is, you know, definitely the aristocracy buys into this especially males in the aristocracy they buy into the system because it works for them oh, yeah. they benefit from it so of course they're going to be like oh yeah this is what you have to do this is how this works this is you know this is how our system is and because yeah it works for them it benefits them they they get everything so um he's 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 definitely still has those blinders on of the fact that pretty much everything he knows about life is unjust for most people. Um, but at least he believes in the, the good in people and he's not going to sit and, you know, stand for someone trying to, trying to bring someone down and screw over somebody's dying wishes and screw over somebody's mother just because it'll benefit them. Um, and as for Partridge, I think, Again, I feel I feel bad for Partridge the same way I I felt bad for Jenny jo Jenny Jones is because they both 
people just assumed that that's who sired this kid and then threw them out on their ears. So you feel, you feel bad that he got this, he got this raw deal because there's no reason for him to have been cast out of anything because it wasn't his fault yet here, you know, and now here he is, he's like trying to be a, a roadside burglar with, uh, <laughs> with no bullets in his gun. I just, th- I just think it's kind of adorable. And I, I love that he's um, just, you know, w- when he, when he tells Tom who he is and Tom is so excited, he's like, he's like, yeah, that's, it's good to see you, man. But yeah, I'm not your dad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Who, I don't know who is. We never figured it out, but I'll still come along with you. I'll help you. And um, you know, we always thought you were a good guy and I always liked, you know, Squire Allworthy, even though he did fire me for no freaking reason. <laughs> I, you know, I definitely think that Partridge is a, is a genuinely good guy. And, um, you know, he's just, he's not really a robber. He's just down on his luck. <laughs> so I think that's, uh, I think that's fun. Of, I, I love that his character and Jenny Jones's characters get redeemed in the end of this, that they, they weren't in fact, the 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 servants that you know dared to have sex with each other and, and sired a bastard um but they were in fact just looking out for um bridget allworthy and wh- everything they did was altruistic and they they were about to take these secrets to their grave which i don't agree with but i think is in this system i think is a is a is a is a is a is a, is a, is a, is a mark of a good character and and as I said, I think it maybe speaks to the fact, as I said, that maybe it is the whole thing of, in inverted commas, the commoners might be the more virtuous people within this society, which I think is uh, maybe what, what Fielding was, was oh, getting always. at. Yeah, yeah, always. That's, to- that's totally what he was getting at. I, I de- that that was definitely what, what I was what I was uh, what I kind of figured too. And Rachel, what did you make of these two characters? Uh, yeah. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, it's going into this movie, I was, I was like, you know, I didn't really have a, any idea about what it was uh, uh, about. So when it starts with this essentially silent movie sequence. I did think and, of you at that moment, Rachel. And one of the first things we see when uh, when uh, Allworthy, you know, goes to, to bed when he discovers the baby is we see him bent over the bed and we almost see this old man ass. <laughs> Thank God for I that almost. Yeah, but I should have taken that as an indication about how the rest of this movie was going to go. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, I mean, he he definitely uh, you know tried. He definitely seemed to try to do his best on behalf of Tom because you know he did find this 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 baby who was innocent and you know at, it's like when they're a baby and it's like oh you know he's a you know he's a bastard but he's a baby so he's innocent i'll raise him like my own but did you really raise him like your own because you didn't even give him your last name um you know he went ahead and gave him his mother's last name um well his supposed mother's last name so i don't Anyway, um, but yeah, he, he definitely seems to to be the the person that seems to genuinely care for Tom. 
Um, and, you know, when, uh, when it looked like he was going to die of fever, um, you know, that he made sure to, to, to let Tom know that, you know, as far as my will is concerned, you're not going to be completely left out, um, you know, without anything, um, and then when, you know, he pulls through and Tom is just so happy, which I think says a lot about their relationship yeah. um, and how much the, they care for each other. Um, so, yeah, he, he seems to be an, an okay guy. Um, and then as for Tom's father, not father, uh <laughs> Again, seems like a nice enough guy who's just had a you know a a, a rough lot in life, um, and is just trying to to get a a guinea, you know, a couple guineas to rub together to to feed himself, um, and um, yeah, obviously highway robbery is uh, being a highwayman is uh, not for everybody. Um, you should probably have functioning weapons. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, but you know, the fact that he, even though they're, they, they find out that there's no blood relation whatsoever, that he and Tom form this friendship and will probably continue to be friends of some sort going forward is, is nice. Uh, mm-hmm. so at least, at least Tom can go forward in life with people that, have shown that they are somebody that they can be counted on. No, sure. I, I mean, I guess these are very much two of the kindest and most positive characters in this film, seeing all the horrible people we have to deal with. Cause I do think Squire Allworthy is possibly the kindest and most patient father one could meet as he does seem to have overlooked or forgiven many things Tom has done throughout the years And I think he shows incredible patience and love when it comes to him. At the same time, he's no fool, though. As as though he carries himself according to his status, you can tell he's not completely trusting of Blithel or or Tom's tutors Thwackham and Square. And I think he also seems to tolerate people like Squire Weston almost in a Ned Flanders kind of way. I mean... I loved his calm and kind demeanor, and I think it is the example of what an English gentleman should be. But yeah, he was very much like Ned Flanders dealing with Homer Simpson. That was kind of the the, uh, the vibe I got. And Partridge, yeah, is another interesting character. Granted, he denies it, but the way I saw it, it actually seemed that he actually is Tom's biological father, of course. And in a curious sense, rather than embracing that fact, he asks Tom if he can become his servant which I found was quite the choice. Also, there was something that did bug me a little. I mean, following the review of the famous letter written by Tom's biological mother, who turns out obviously to be Allworthy's sister, that does make, of course, Tom and Bliffle half-brothers. Yet that is never addressed in this film. And you'd think it would make for a very compelling dynamic within the film if that, you know, was like, oh, so you and I are half-brothers? So it's a change. I think it would change things so much, but... They don't even address that. I guess they leave it to us, the audience, to say, to make that connection. But all right. And yeah, going back to Partridge, I think he's just such a kindly and humble soul and does everything he can to extricate Tom from being hanged during the last few minutes of the film, which was very heartwarming. 
But yeah, at the same time, it seems like everything he tries, it just does not go well for him. And I just felt so bad for the man because he's so willing. He's so kind. And, you know, you see all these horrible people and like I'm I'm team Partridge all the way because the guy's just such a great, great guy for sure. So let's get to some of the women in Tom's life outside of Sophie. And yeah, there are quite a few. We have, of course... Diane Chilento as Molly Seagram, whom my listeners might know from The Wicker Man and Tiger at the Gates. Joyce Redman as Mrs. Waters' Jenny Jones, who I absolutely loved in Othello. And Joan Greenwood as Lady Belliston, who's been in such things as Moonfleet, Stage Struck, The Mysterious Island, and tons more. So, uh, Rachel, what did you make of this trio of ladies? Tom sure knows how to pick them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Molly, she's almost like the, the female equivalent of Tom, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, you know, I'm looked down upon by everyone. Um, uh, therefore I'm just going to get my kicks and enjoy life however I can. And if that means, you know, sleeping with whoever, then why not? Cause at least you get a little bit of pleasure out of your day, you know, cause they're just, uh, you know, she and her, her family are, you know, seemingly very, uh, not <laughs> very low class. Um, you know, see, so, you know, living in, uh, the country and, but not like, Tom and his, you know, all those people living in the country, they're like living by the land, um, you know, having to struggle to, to be able to feed themselves and everything. Um, so, um, and yeah, the fact that Tom keeps going back to her, but you know, I can kind of see that because it's like you know you're bad for each other but there's the familiarity there and that makes it comfortable and less scary um but yeah i mean those two are just really really bad for each other and you know although i did feel bad for her when she gets attacked after church Mm. um yeah just because she shows up obviously pregnant i think um, and <laughs> I think she's supposed to be pregnant yet. Like nothing happens. Like we'd ever see her with a baby True. later. Um, and when like he even, finds her in her, in the room with the other guy, she doesn't look pregnant anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a bit confusing. Um, but it, I, for her to be attacked like that by all the, the, you know, holier now squad, uh, was uncalled for. Um, so I, I did, I did kind of feel bad for her for that. Um, but again, disease, uh, <laughs> probably want to stay away. Um, so, uh, you know, ho- ho- hopefully, you know, if, if Tom and Sophie do end up, you know, staying together, that they move far away from, Molly, because she's just, you know, she's predatory. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if 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 Sophie wants any any hopes of of fidelity from Tom, they need they need to move far away uh, from from that camp there. Um, 
but um yeah um and then yeah uh jenny jones slash mrs waters and oh my god the eating scene (laughs) so disgusting I hope you weren't having a meal while you were watching this, Rachel. No, I wasn't. Thank goodness. But oh my goodness, that was just so. It was just one of those sequences that just went way too long. There's so many sequences in this movie that just did not need to stretch on as long as they did. Like the hunting scene. Like, did we really need that many, you know, feet of? all a huge pack of dogs running no we did not (laughs) this whole this whole for you know eating is foreplay scene essentially just went on way too long and apparently that was improvised they just gave them the food and just told them to have at it and they filmed for like three hours. They gave them barf buckets because they were actually eating all this all this stuff and eventually they would get, you know, it would just make them sick to them sick to their stomachs and they just vomit and then just keep going. Wow. Um, this is why in general you when you have uh, any scenes involving food, you don't actually eat them. You don't you're not actually eating because it can get nauseating even if you are enjoying the food at first <laughs> um so uh yeah that entire scene was just yeah <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> it was just like oh this is so gross um and you know but at least you know they're two consenting adults ish i guess um but then, like, after everything happened, like, like, the whole thing at the end happens with, uh, what, Fitz, Fitzsimmons, Fitzwater, whatever, shows up and accosts them, and there's a whole thing, and then Tom, you know, has to get his pants on and leaves, but then the guy ends up jumping into bed with, with Mrs. Waters, so, and why was she... What was she doing out and about? I mean, it's a shame that the reason that Tom came across her in the first place because she was being accosted by that guy yeah. from the the army who had thought that he had killed Tom and was going to be hanged for it, but managed to escape. Um, so you know, yeah, it was a shame that she was being accosted by this this dickwad, um, and. The, you know that Tom was able to 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 save her, um, but um, you know what was she, you know again story I think more than anything the, the, those two ha- just happen across their paths. He just happens to cross paths with the woman who everybody thinks is his biological mother, who he ends up sleeping with, which thankfully turns out not to be his biological mother, which did, did that really need to be added to this convoluted story on top of everything else? Did we need, did we need to throw possible incest on top of it? <laughs> uh I think not, in my humble opinion. Uh, but that's my two cents. Lady Belliston, she's just awful. <laughs> uh, out of all of them, yeah, is is 
you know, because she she knows Tom is in love with Sophie. She knows Tom keeps showing up to her house <laughs> looking for Sophie. He comes to the party and is constantly acquiring her about Sophie. And yet she seduces him. You know, yes, he had a, you know, he could have said no and not followed her to her house. Um, but she didn't need she didn't need to instigate anything, knowing full and well that he is, you know, supposedly madly in love with with someone else. And then when Sophie shows up, she get, ends up manipulating so that Sophie ends up in this position where she almost gets raped, because mm-hmm. then her virtue would be taken, and then she'd be forced to marry this guy. It's just. I, she's just awful. She's just absolutely awful. So <laughs> I agree. And I was right there going, don't do it, Mr. Banks. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At first, I couldn't place where I knew this guy from because <laughs> I was like, he looks kind of familiar. Uh, so I, I had to look him up on IMDb. I was like, oh, yeah, add the mustache. One year later, one year later, he'd be playing Mr. Banks. <laughs> so. Yeah, because the mustache does a lot. Because I was right there with you as well. Because at first it's like, I didn't see the mustache. I'm like, yeah, the eyes. I've seen those eyes somewhere before. And I was like, oh, no, it's Mr. Banks. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. But yeah, David Tomlinson did, did do a good job in this. And uh, Zan, you had uh, you know touched up on, on some of the ladies in Tom's life. So yeah, what did you make of this uh, terrific trio of ladies? Yeah, these women are our stereotypes. We've got the we've got the body sex craze country girl in Molly, and we have the the conniving courtesan in Lady Belliston, and then Jenny Jones is the she's kind of like the the outcast that did well, you know, mm. you know she gets she gets thrown out for kind of being a whore, and then she does well, and uh, um. Like you said, Rachel, it, it's it's too bad. You know, I don't know what the hell was going on between her and uh, um, Northerton, who mm. uh, I think it's funny that we've watched two movies in a row with him in it, but they're like <laughs> 30 years apart because that's that that was Julian Glover, who's Donovan from Last Crusade, um, <laughs> which we just talked about on our Patreon episode, yeah. um, who looked like a baby in this movie compared to, you know, cause you know, Chris and I were talking about the first time we ever saw him and it was probably um, empire strikes back. Right. So he just looks like an infant in this movie to me. So, um, but yeah, she's, she's sort of the cast out. Jenny Jones was cast out from her job for bearing a, uh, an illegitimate child and, you know, trying to pass him off. And, um, but now she's obviously been married Which- and has her own place and, has has come up in the world a little bit. Yeah. What were you going to say, Which, Rachel? I'm sorry. Oh, I was going. I was just going to say. Obviously, you know, back then they would. They don't know anything about genetics. But the fact that she's got this fiery red hair and Tom is just blonde. There's no way they could be related. <laughs> well, that's yeah. That's the thing. It does. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like you know, there's a baby. Who's the sluttiest member of our staff? It must be her, Kessera. Yeah. And that, that whole. That whole sort of um, guilt by gossip concept so um yeah these women are here to advance tom's story essentially um there's a little more to jenny though um i I did kind of like that the same with with uh, partridge 
I, I like that not only does Tom get redeemed at the end of this movie, so do the two of them. That not only are they not um, these terrible people that would, you know, conceive a bastard out of wedlock and then discard him in the squire's bed, but they also did what they did. Reasons they were trying to protect um, uh, Bridget already. They were trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that about her character. I really, really, really like that she's not Tom's mother because, as much as as much as you're watching this movie going, oh God, no, 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 no. If she found out, you know, when Partridge tells her that that's, that's, you know, Tom Jones, her son that she left in the bed, she just sort of looks at the camera with a little shrug, like, oh, oh well, well, he was still good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, no, there would, if that was actually his mother, that would have been much, much more of a reaction. <laughs> I would at least hope. That's when you want the that's when you want the pew bucket right there is when you find out that little bit of news about how your day has been going. So, um, but yeah, like I said, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I did I did find the scene amusing where Tom Jones goes in to talk to Molly and she's yelling at him and then we find another guy behind the curtain and they all just start laughing about it. You know, he's you know he's not mad at her. She's like, oh well, I tried. Um, it's very. Uh, it's it's very what like it's like they're almost laughing at the system like they're almost laughing at the ridiculousness of this that you know he's you know he's done this ter- they've done this terrible thing by getting her pregnant now he doesn't he has to do the right thing but neither one of them you know just the fact that it's a ridiculous system i think is what they're actually laughing at but um yeah i can't say enough bad things about lady bellstrom i mean any woman that orchestrates another woman's rape Need, that's who needs to be in the gallows, in my opinion. That's terrible, especially when you're when you're having uh, um, Mr. Banks do it. That's just adds a level of a level of creepiness. And it's so funny to watch him because that's what I know him from his Disney movies. Yeah. And when and when you see him like trying I'm to glad somebody he doesn't somebody. have the mustache, otherwise my childhood would be ruined. Our childhood <laughs> would just be done. Yeah, it would just be gone. Um, yeah, just the way he's running around, I'm like, yeah, you wish Tomlinson. <laughs> There's no way. That you are, you know, that you're this, uh, that that, there's, there's no way David Tomlinson could be that, uh, that aggressive. So it makes me happy that I know him from, from Disney movies because I didn't feel like she was actually in any real danger, (laughs) (laughs) but still, yeah. Orchestrating another woman's rape is, uh, like literally the worst thing anybody can do. Oh, very much so. And you know what, had it actually, you know, gone all the way, it would have, yes, ruined our, ruined, I think, all three of our childhoods. And it probably would have given the, the song Eglantine a completely different meaning, the way that uh, that David Thompson's character, Professor Brown, carries on with Angela Lansbury in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. So, seriously. I <laughs> and I love that film to death. I'm so glad I can still say I love that film. But, uh, yeah, this, this is definitely, I think, a trio of fascinating and engaging women for different reasons. I mean, starting with the woman with whom Tom has enjoyed quite a few roles in the hay with, and then some, and where she, you know, gets quite the racy name from Tom when he's drunk. And I was like, they got away with that. I'm like, wow. Okay. And it does seem like Molly does have, like Rachel was saying, quite the sexual appetite, possibly as much as Tom. And in particular does enjoy the company of aristocrats. So you do, I actually wondered whether she's simply in it for the sex because she enjoys it, 
or where there's more to it, as it does seem like she's using what she has in order to get ahead in life. Uh, I.e., you know, like when asking Tom about the possibility of working for Sophie as a maid. And we do find out that she may have asked the same favor of other nobles who have shared her bed. And I'm assuming that in the end, the baby Molly was carrying was another gentleman's and not Tom's, but it kind of like disappears unless she had an abortion. I don't know, but uh, that was. Or my- she was faking it. Or she was faking it. it could but then we see the- her with like. Yeah, her I couldn't figure it out. Beforehand. And they're like, oh, look at you waddling around with that belly. Mm. So, so it's hard to say. Unless, as I said, she she had some sort of an abortion somehow. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> I was just as kind of dumbfounded as the two of you. And Jenny Jones <clears throat> is another crazy character. As, like Zan was saying, I at first was concerned that Tom was lusting over his mother without realizing it. And even had that been the case... Like you were saying, Zan, it does not seem to phase Jenny either way. It's just like, okay, that works. She does, of course, you know, give us that famous eating scene, which has been parodied all over the place. And I suppose she may be similar to Molly when it maybe it comes to her aspirations, because you think to yourself, at the time where women did not have a say, they kind of maybe had to use their wiles in order to you know, gain status, which is very sad to say, but, and, and I'm so glad things have changed, but that's maybe the way it was, unless you were like Lady Belliston born into nobility. And yeah, she could definitely be considered one of the villains of the pictures. To her, Tom, I think is literally a, to- a toy boy and a distraction, you know, because she lavishes him with expensive gifts in exchange for sex. So I suppose it is very much a transactional relationship. And also, it may be like the seagulls in Finding Nemo, which is like, mine, mine, mine. So I think she, I guess, that's, I guess maybe that, that was how she felt. I mean, I, I call her a villain because she is more than happy to keep Tom to herself and possibly beyond just being attracted to him. I think she just wants to have something that Sophie can't have or is she's just very possessive with her men. I mean, to her, it's literally toys, I think. So that, that's, that's the way she is, just like uh, that's, that spoilt aristocrat who's like you know i have the money i can have men at the drop of the hat and just because some other woman wants him i'll take him because i can so yeah she's she's a horrible horrible person then that whole the the whole staging the rape thing was absolutely awful and yeah but i'm still glad that david tomlinson can still kind of be, be salvaged somewhat so speaking of villains let's look at who can be considered our villain and his cronies if you will we have John Moffat as Square, known mainly, of course, for playing Hercule Poirot on BBC Radio. We have Peter Ball as Thwackham, who I loved in both The African Queen and Doctor Strangelove. And, of course, David Warner at his debut as Bliffel. So, Zan, starting with you, what did you make of our villains in this picture? These are all just Weasley guys. Um, you know, Bliffle is so is so perfectly disgusting. He's like... Like I said, David Warner is the only choice for this character, frankly. Um, David Warner plays such a good underhanded villain. Um, you know, David Warner played the devil himself once. I mean, David mm-hmm. Warner's perfect at villain. So he's just so he's just so gross. <laughs> like he just is kind of like he just sort of has that sour face that's like, you know, half lecherous, half scheming. Um and like I said, he's he seems sort of 
more interested in the money than he is in the death of his uncle and the death of his mother. He seems more interested in the money than he is in Sophie. And like I said, that was to me, I sort of read that as, you know, half greedy and half gay. Um, and he's just and the whole, like, you know, here's a letter from your mother. Well, you can give it to me. I'll give it to him. Well, I'm not supposed to give it to anybody. He's like, well, you want a job? I mean, he's just, from the beginning, he's just disgusting. And at, like at his mother's funeral, he's screwing over his mother's final wishes in her, her last words. So he's just, he's just awful. And the other two characters, I mean, like you said, Peter Bull uh, is, I, he has that great voice and that great, um, just in a con that face that's in a constant constant state of indignation. <laughs> He's perfect for this role. But these two guys are what happens when tattletales grow up. They're just so interested in knocking people down a peg. You know that whole that whole thing about well this this information will be much more useful at another time, and they're more than happy to save it and say, oh yeah, by the way, here's what's going on, and they're they're just they're so judgy i mean they're they're uh, they're that weird part of society at the time where they're not highborn but they're also not servants so they're this sort of in between so i think they are they're constantly trying to assert their station by being judgmental and these guys are perfect examples of that but yeah, they're they're all they're all just terrible people, and you're so like I said at the end of this movie, you're 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 not as you're not as so much glad that you know Tom and Sophie get together. You're just glad that these people get knocked down, <laughs> get knocked down a few pegs. Yeah, and and I agree with you on when it comes to Peter Ball's voice, as uh, I just had stuck in my head our source in the New York Times. I just had that in my head. Ninety-three forever. years. That's what I kept hearing. <laughs> Ninety-three years. He is just, Peter Ball is, is just a legend. I, I just think, well, what a beautiful, beautiful voice for sure. And also John Ma Moffat is great too. And yeah, Rachel, what did you make of these three of Square, Thwackham and uh, Bliffle? Um, well, Square and Thwackham, 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 uh, again with these names. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're like, like Tweedledum and Tweedledummer. <laughs> um, and... Uh, or just, uh, although I think Thwackham, uh, Thwackham does more of the talking of the two. He seems to to be the 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 leader. Uh, 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 yeah, the the fact that both of them are just so yeah, they're they're like I was saying, we we're talking about Tom. Um, yeah, how he's got these people that just look, you know look down on him because of his birth something he has no control over and yet at the same time are upset because they're like oh you know I tried to teach him about propriety and religion and everything he just wouldn't listen I'm like well I wouldn't listen to you if you're trying you know if you're constantly telling me that I'm a piece of shit because I happen to be a bastard uh I was like, I'm not going to listen to you. Um, so those those two are just useless. Um, except for apparently, 
you know, for everything that Tom did not absorb, Bliffle did. Um, and is just their little star pupil. And he is just awful. <laughs> he is um yeah, towards the end there when he finds out that, that Tom is gonna be hanged and he has to go and, and tell the squire all all worthy. Um and he's just so you know, excited about excited about it. It's just like um yeah, he's like um Draco Malfoy, like like, ooh, I caught Harry Potter so doing something bad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go tell Professor Snape. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, David Warner, I recognize the name, but he's so young in this that he's Stark from Tron. Well, yeah, though, what I know him best from is he plays the scientist in. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use. <laughs> he totally does. Yeah, he totally does. And Very true. we're going to talk about That's what him. I recognize. It, you know, just age him up. <laughs> 30-something years. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're going to talk about right. him in about 35 put years. The, put, put the canister of ooze in his hands. Uh, and there you go. Uh, so. Yeah, we'll talk about him again in about 35 years uh, when we talk about uh, Titanic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So, um, you know, he's just, uh, you know, is as as much as we're questioning, you know, the future between Sophie and uh, Tom, uh, she lucked out <laughs> by uh, not getting chained to this guy uh, for the rest of eternity. <laughs> so, or at least the rest of her natural life. So. True. I, I I guess Sophie could could have done worse. I very much agree. I mean, I I do very, I do very much consider these three to be our villains of the picture because obviously, firstly, Square and Thwackum, who were tutors, obviously, to both Tom and Blithor, and have a strong disliking of Tom, possibly because you know one, I guess, the whole bastard child, and they've all obviously also developed a closer relationship with Blithor, and they're so hanging on his coattails in hopes that they will be something extra for them once he hopefully takes over. And of course, they're doing all they can to make sure Blithel does take over the estate once Allworthy is gone. And the disappointment on their faces, firstly, when Allworthy speaks his will, seemingly on his deathbed, and then uh, they're even more down in the dumps once Allworthy survives, it's just priceless. I just, they played the, that so well, because like, oh, it's happening, it's happening. No, epic fail, it ain't gonna happen for you guys. And yeah, they're just fabulous sidekicks to Blithel, as I think they very much use their feigned pity and righteousness to denounce people like Tom, while they are obviously hiding their own greed and desires. And yeah, Blithel, I think, is literally Tom's coin opposite, who, you know, on the outside seems to possess all the virtues a gentleman of his status should have. But yeah, he's clearly arrogant, he's priggish, and he comes off as so oily. You can really just 
feel the grease on your fingers. That's that's just how 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 sort of tangible I think David Warner's uh, performance was when it came to this character. So three three. The pimples were a nice touch too with that, weren't they? Oh yes, they said yeah. well played, Zan, well played. <laughs> but yeah, it's very true. They, they were certainly a nice touch. So let's get to how this film ended. Tom, of course, has been conveyed to the gallows. The noose is around his neck. Squire Weston has been apprised of Tom's new status as Allworthy's only heir. He cuts him down. And as he you know, begins to hang and takes him to Sophie, Tom has then permission to court Sophie. And all ends well with Tom embracing Sophie with both Squire Weston and his uncle's blessings. So, Rachel, starting with you, were you happy with this ending? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, uh, you know, Sophie could do better, but she could also do worse. Um, at least Tom's not dead. Uh, although I found it interesting. Uh, I don't know if this is the before. No, it wasn't then with the hanging scene. It was earlier when Tom had gotten into the fight with the guy from the army and they thought he was dead. Um, and the, the, the disembodied narrator voice which was a weird thing in a period piece, um, <laughs> uh, was all like, oh, you know, we, the, uh, our, uh, our hero's story or whatever can't be told if they're dead. And I'm like, yeah, no, how many books and stories have I heard where it's from like a first person point of view, but it's being told by somebody that you find out by the end that they're, they're dead. <laughs> this can be done uh so but it was nice to see him not get hanged especially for something that like first of all they're accusing him he was supposed to be hanged because he's being accused of attempted robbery not because he stabbed the guy but because the crowd thought that he was trying to rob him which you know if those two sleazy guys hadn't uh, you know lied essentially i think to the authorities then tom probably would have been fine because i'm pretty sure in that era defending your honor when somebody challenges you is fine so um but heaven forbid you steal from somebody uh <laughs> so um but uh yeah so it's it's nice to the, that tom got saved and quickly uh there <laughs> too because i was like yeah usually when you hang someone that's pretty quick yeah uh so <laughs> um uh but yeah him and sophie ending up together it's 18th century england sure why not they'll figure it out <laughs> yeah i guess at, these two yeah go ahead yeah it was at least you know, at least for Sophie on the wedding night should be hopefully somewhat pleasant because at least Tom will know what he's doing. Oh, yes. He's had plenty of experience. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure if she had married Bliffle, that Bliffle probably would have had no idea what he was doing. Uh. <laughs> at least, yes, she's got a seasoned lover for a uh, for a potential husband, I guess. So I guess that there is that. There is that for sure. <laughs> And Zan, were you happy with this, shall we say, hallmark ending? 
like I said before, I'm happy that everybody else gets knocked down, and I'm and I'm happy that that Tom doesn't die for this ridiculous reason. Um, am I happy that he's together with Sophie? Not necessarily. I I would like better for her, but like Rachel said, meh. Albert Finney in 1963, you could do a lot worse. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that the the bad people get what's coming to them, with the exception of of uh, Western. I feel like he just comes out of this totally unscathed. He's still just going to be a terrible person. <laughs> he hasn't learned anything. He hasn't learned how to be a better person. He's only interested in Tom Jones now because all of a sudden he's now of a better station in life. He hasn't really learned anything about how to judge someone by their character. <laughs> But pretty much everybody else who's bad in this movie gets what's coming to them. And I think that's that's good. And I, like I said, I do love the scene where um, Jenny Jones talks to the camera and says, okay, here's what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, in fact, not his mother. And you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and his mother is... is um, the squire's sister. And, but you're right. They don't mention anything about the fact that this makes him and Blithel... Uh, brothers now. It doesn't say anything about that. Um, but since Tom I, is the old, Tom is older. It puts well, it first because, in line. Yeah, it's Tom is older, and he's basically told Blithel, "I'm done with you. You know, you you're a terrible guy. Get the hell out." Um, and I and I like the fact that Tom is. Genuinely, Tom genuinely seems happy that Allworthy has taken him back. You know, that, that's the thing. I, I think the most genuine relationship in this movie is that of Tom and Allworthy. Mm. Because, you know, when we have the scene where we think Allworthy is going to die of his fever after the accident and he gets better, you know, Tom comes running around saying it's over it's over he's better he's better and he's taking all the black down from the from the windows he's genuinely happy that all worthy's better even though he knows he's going to get money out of this if he dies he's genuinely happy that he's not dying um whereas like you said you can tell that that david warner and his and his cronies are like oh man we gotta wait for this money somewhere dang it um i was already i was already thinking about installing a pool (laughs) <laughs> so you know I, I like that about Tom and I like the fact that when he comes up to him after um, after Western has saved him from the gallows I do like that Western saves him from the gallows um, and he says my boy I owe you an apology he's like what for you've never been nothing but great to me because you know even Tom sort of <laughs> sort of realizes like yeah I'm kind of a I'm kind of a cat and I'm kind of testing your patience with all, all of my shenanigans you know, he's never once blamed Allworthy. And the fact that he and Allworthy get back together, and he says, I, I have to tell you something, that your mother was my sister. And he's just like, uncle! He's just so happy to actually be his family now. And I think that's very sweet. I think that's one thing in the plus column for, for Tom as not being a cad. He genuinely has affection for Allworthy. And I think that's I think that's cool that we see that at the end of this movie. I think so, too, because I think it very much reveals that, yeah, for all his philandering and all his womanizing, Tom does have a heart, I think. And he does really. And the, the, the love that he has 
for for of course Allworthy it is really felt in those moments like you were pointing out and I I mean yeah it is very much I guess a picture perfect ending and as I said before a bit of a hallmark ending and yeah maybe some you know you can maybe see as being too you know too too simple and you know kind of wrap everything up like this because there are some open questions but I guess it was it was the the way to possibly end this film I am not happy of course that uh, that um, should we say uh, that, that Sophie's dad did not really get what was coming to him. It kind of is like, you know, it's like the Nazi who escaped and went to South America and lives a life of leisure anyway, because he's like, or, or he gets employed by another, another country and is living a great life anyway. So it's like, he hasn't learned anything. I think Tom by movies end has learned something. And maybe he's like, okay, I will probably, I'll just, you know, be faithful to my wife and, stop the womanizing and stuff and yeah just the love he has for all words is just beautiful that was probably my, my my favorite part of this is how how connected he he is with all and then finding out he's actually related to him it's it's beautiful I, I and i think it very much showcases you know the the more uh, should we say innocent side of tom outside of obviously the sex and stuff i think you know that's why i say he's maybe very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because he genuinely loves his fellow man and maybe loves the ladies a little bit too much but I think he is he is a genuine person, all things considered. So let's get to if our if we were the Academy segment. Of course, this film won Best Picture during the 36th Academy Awards, held at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium on April the 13th of 1964. Your host for the night was Jack Lemon, and was a, definitely a great ceremony. I actually checked it out on YouTube. It was great fun to watch. And presenting the award for Best Picture was Frank Sinatra. This film was running up against four other movies. We had America, America, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, and Lilies of the Field. So, Zan, starting with you, did Tom Jones deserve to love another day, or should somebody else have been caught in bed with Oscar? Oh, good one. Um, Tom <laughs> Jones is a, um, is a good movie. Um, and based on what it was up against... Um, you know, Lilies of the Field, good movie. Um, Cleopatra and How the West was one. These are two epic pictures that I do actually really like, but I am getting a little bit tired of the epic picture, especially something like How the West was one, where it's, it has that star-studdedness that it's mm -hmm. almost like stunt casting. Um, and as you both know, America, America can suck it and suck it hard. Um, <laughs> I do not care about Ilya Kazan or what he has to say about anything. He can take flying leaps, so... I don't even know why that was, I don't even know why that that was in the uh, conversation. Um, I think out of all of these movies, this was my, the one that I like to watch the most. Um, Cleopatra's difficult. It's a, it's a good movie and everybody's good in it, but it's still white people in brown face being Egyptians. So um, it's a, it's a tough one to watch for that reason. And like I said, how the West was one, one of the greatest soundtracks in the history of soundtracks. Uh, but it's kind. It can get. It can be kind of a slog. I mean, there are some. There are some charming parts of it, but it can be kind of a slog. And it's still a western, so it has some unsavory parts to it. If you ask me, um, I really definitely do think that um, Sidney Poitier deserved his Best Actor Oscar. Agreed. Um, Hugh Griffith does a great job, but God, I love Melvin Douglas and HUD. Um, so he does a fantastic job. I would have also kind of liked to have seen Nick Adams win an Oscar. I mean, Nick Adams has such a controversial life. 
you know, going from these Oscar movies to, you know, bit parts and Godzilla movies, it's a very interesting career. And the fact that he was nominated for an Oscar is fascinating to me. Um, this is a weird one too, with three of our women being nominated for best supporting actress. <laughs> but again, I love that uh, nobody, for, but you know, um, Susanna York doesn't get best actress, but I love that Patricia Neal takes it um, based on uh, what we're talking about with um, original screenplay. I think Tom Jones and Lilies of the Field are probably tied with each other. So either one would have been good uh, to, to win it. Um, I'm really glad that uh, America, America did not win uh, directly for the screen screenplay. Um, but if I was going to give it to a movie that had any sort of nomination this year, um, I would have given this to Mad, 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 Mad World. Um, <laughs> I think, well, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. It's like an epic comedy. Um, it's like an epic comedy. You have stunt casting, but it's stunt casting in the way that it's a bunch of comedians. You have all of these comedians and all of these great comedic actors, and then you have the straight man being the quintessential American actor, Spencer Tracy. So it doesn't feel like as much stunt casting. Like, I don't care how rugged of a cowboy outfit you put him in. Jimmy Stewart as like a cowboy? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> that one was hard for me to buy. Um, but Mad, 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 Mad World, I, I, these are a little bit more believable. Um, it's like an epic comedy, has a great score. Um, Stanley Kramer did a fantastic job as directing. So I think I would have put this in the conversation for best picture instead of America, America. And out of everything that was nominated for anything, not just best picture this year, I would have probably given it to that. So Tom Jones, good movie, but um, best picture of the year, not in a year with this, not in a year with Mad, 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 Mad World. <laughs> well, hey, totally fair. And I chuckle because having watched uh, this uh, this Academy Awards, it was absolutely hilarious seeing everybody reading out It's a Mad, 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 Mad World among the nominees. Because, like, how many mads are there? Some people said, like, five. Some people like said, like, three. So it was <laughs> hilarious seeing you know, how, how nominated it was and all the various, shall we say, um, MCs announced that title because like okay and they're kind of counting the number of mads in the title so i thought it was kind of just entertaining yep. for that reason <laughs> but, but i agree it is, it is definitely a great film for sure and rachel what what do you think do you think uh, tom jones deserved best picture no no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not i don't even know if it deserved to be nominated uh like i said this movie is just an absolute mess um just the uh, the cinematography cinematography like i said i could kind of appreciate the the weird you know out you know out of the norm style of cinematography that would would give us rise to you know things like monty python later um but even then, I mean, there were times where I just, I struggled to keep track of what was going on because of the shaky camera. Um, and then, you know, they'd like speed it up and put in your wacky, you know, 18th century Benny Hill music. Um, 
I had I struggled to keep the characters straight. <laughs> Even here, he was, he was like, "Wait, who are we talking about?" Um, and yeah, the the acting is not necessarily the 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 best. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the apparently um, Albert Finney absolutely hated doing this movie. He was just like depressed the entire entire time. Uh, so money off of it though. He got like ten percent of the gross, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, well that was he had to, he negotiated that later because he, he didn't he didn't like the part and the only reason I agreed to do it is is if they were gonna give him a producer credit and then he ended up swapping that for yeah, a take at the box office. Um, which was risky considering when they finished filming and they showed like the first like rough cut to whoever, you know, at the studio and they're like, yeah, this is going to be a big old flop. <laughs> so, uh, and obviously not the case. Um, but yeah, I just, this, this one just, just not, yeah, it just, I, it's hard for me to put it into words what exactly I just I just I'm not feeling this one you know and not in a how green was my valley you know he's 12 kind of way because that's still the worst because uh, <laughs> uh, a 12 year old should not be working in the mines um, he's not even supposed to, he's not even supposed to be 12 at that time yet they've got a 12 year old playing him uh, so yeah, at least with this you get there's a few funny moments, um, but they're far and few between. For the most part, I was just like the entire, almost the entire time I'm just watching this movie, just shaking my head, like what in the hell am I watching? It's like a train wreck, you know. But you, you just kind of keep watching. I mean, obviously, I needed to watch it for this anyway, uh, but still, it's just like it's just like watching you know like um oh what's her face what was it uh ashley simpson you know mm -hmm. getting caught lip syncing you know <laughs> while performing you know it's like oh this is so bad that i have to keep watching it because it's you know just to see how it how what the fallout is like um so yeah no this, this definitely should not have won. Um, as for what should have won, okay, bear with me here. <laughs> I know this is going to sound weird coming from me, considering my my previous uh, opinions. But honestly, I would give it to Cleopatra. I watched it, and I actually really enjoyed myself. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it was it's really it's really good for an ep historical epic picture. Yeah, because yeah, it really keeps going. You know, it it's yeah, engaging it's enough. It's not just like you know, it's not epic for the sake of being epic. Right. Uh, right. There are a couple of scenes like when when Cleopatra first shows up uh, to Rome. Uh, <laughs> and there's like this big parade, which I'm like, oh, well, I wonder if that was an influence to the parade and, you know, the Prince Ali segment in the mm. Aladdin cartoon. 
<laughs> and then the 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 the, uh, the presentation of all the food, and then the little dance performance uh, on Cleopatra's ship uh, when when uh, Mark Anthony is you know trying to convince her to <laughs> sneak off to a dark corner somewhere. Uh, but for the most part, the story it keep you know it's engaging enough to keep you wanting to watch and to see how this play, I mean, I think it most, most people know how the story of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony plays out and Caesar. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's just, it's so beautiful and the acting is great. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've got white people pretending to be Egyptians and Romans and, you know, all these other things. And there's some unfortunate other ethnic things um that occur but you can just kind of you just kind of have to wave it as it's you know it's like something like lawrence of arabia you know it's just what they did at the time you know like we use white people we put them in we color them and call it a day (laughs) so you can kind of not necessarily forgive it but you can just like i understand it um yeah, you know, but the like the sets are great. I am seriously considering adding one of Elizabeth Taylor's many outfits to my potential cosplay list, uh, just because her all of her costumes are just absolutely gorgeous. Um, so um, yeah, no, I. Uh, I was I saw the runtime for Cleopatra on the DVD case, and I'm like, because I knew it was an epic essentially, but I didn't know exactly what the run count was. And I saw the it was like the number of minutes, and I'm like, oh my god! But once I started it, I'm like, I'm actually enjoying this. Holy crap! <laughs> Which, like I said, I have no problem with long movies. Some of my favorite movies of all time are really long you know mm-hmm. three plus hours long so it's not length that i have an issue with it's what they use to achieve that length <laughs> the content and in this case cleopatra actually does it pretty well i agree i mean I, look the thing that i guess the one thing that kind of threw me off about cleopatra was seeing rex harrison as julius caesar because for some reason he just not, not did not gel with me. I get I get Richard Burton totally as of course um, Mark Anthony and and obviously uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton then of course got married and funnily enough when they were over here in Italy at the time apparently Richard Burton famously said the only Italian word that Elizabeth knows is Bulgari. I'm like okay, <laughs> so looking at the nominees, I mean I as elaborate and gaudy as Cleopatra was. I did find it dragging in places, though I will agree, Elizabeth Taylor is Cleopatra, no doubt about it. And I really hope that the uh, the remake, if you will, starring Gal Gadot will get made with Patty Jenkins as the director. And she will have some pretty big shoes to fill, but I think she can pull it off. And, and I actually thought of you, Rachel, while watching Cleopatra, because the costumes are incredible. And, and uh, no surprise, Renny Coley, Irene Sharaf, and Vittorio Nino Novarese won the Oscar for those because they are gorgeous. How the West was won, I found surprisingly entertaining, even though I'm not the biggest Western buff. And I can see why this sprawling family saga is so beloved as the star power is insane. 
And yeah, Zan was mentioning, I would, I never thought I'd see Jimmy Stewart in a film like this. And he does seem a little bit awkward as a cowboy. But to me, the biggest cases can be made, and don't hate me for this, folks, America, America, and Leaders of the Field. For as riddled with sin as Elia Kazan is, I know it's tough to try and separate the artist from the art. I think this is probably one of his finest films ever in my eyes, because taking on the Armenian, Greek, Turkish unrest and the desire for a better life the way he did, it was superb. And in all honesty, I possibly would have given him Best Director, even though it's so hard for me to say that and put Elia Kazan and Best Director in the same sentence, knowing what we know about the man. But the film that really captured my heart is Lilies of the Field. Because Sidney Poitier is just phenomenal, and it's a very sweet and heartwarming story. And I actually felt that if films like Going My Way can take Best Picture, I don't see why Lilies of the Field can't. Though, and and because it just was beautiful, and I was actually singing Amen right after it, and I keep singing it to this day. I actually love that song so much. Though, I guess if you want to go the sophisticated highbrow route, America, America could have won I mean, once again, you have to try and separate the artist from the art. It's it, And that's the beauty, I think, of this podcast is, you know, we all obviously have our own opinions. But at the end of the day, I actually would have given it to Lilies of the Field. Because it's just a feel-good movie. Sidney Poitier is awesome. The rest of the cast is brilliant. It's a very simple, contained story. But man, is it beautiful. So let's get to ratings then. Rachel, starting with you, what do you give Tom Jones out of 10? Oh. <laughs> my god yeah like i said i don't like this it's a mess i don't get it i don't understand why this one (laughs) (laughs) at all let alone got as many nominations as it did i think i ended up getting like 10 um so um yeah, because this is just this is just an absolute mess of uh, a movie, and yeah, uh, I don't like it. I don't want to watch it ever again. Um, <laughs> if I can help it, uh, you know, I guess if you you know if you strap me to a chair and I'm like, okay, you have a choice: how groom is my valley or Tom Jones. Yes, I would go with this. Uh, <laughs> at least it's in color. Um, it has a little. Bad. There's a little bit of music. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's some, some twelve. Fun. Yeah, nobody's twelve. Um, so you know, at, at least I can watch. You know, Billford get his at the end. So at least it has that going for it. But, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is low on the totem pole for me. This is a three. <laughs> not quite not quite a uh, how green was my valley special, but very close. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the how green was my valley Christmas special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And Zan, what do you give this film? Um, I give this one a seven. Um, I think it's I think it's very entertaining. Um, I I really like everybody who's in it, um, and there are some things that I that I love. Like I said, I I love the breaking of the fourth wall. Um, 
I love Susanna York in this. I love Albert Finney in this. And I love, um, I love that eating scene. I think it's so funny. I mean, it's just so ridiculously gross and funny that you're just like, you're laughing and you're like kind of looking away, but you're very entertained. And again, like I said, this is a, this is a good movie to see because it is something that has been parodied very, uh, very often, several times. So um, it's good for that. one. And it's one of those that if it was on, I'd watch it for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this one enough that uh, this one gets a seven for me. I'm also going to give this a seven out of 10. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, at first I was a little bit thrown off cause I was thinking to myself, what am exactly am I watching? And yeah, there were moments where I was like, okay, so this one, why, but I can see the charm in it. And uh, yeah, I might actually rewatch it if it's ever on. It actually got me to listen to the uh, audiobook the uh, from of the uh, Henry Fielding novel. And I actually found that rather entertaining as well. Cause I do like my should we say old school, British novels so I I thought it was fun so it's it's a seven out of ten for me and if anybody you know any of my buddies ever shows up it's like oh I've never seen Tom Jones let's watch it and yeah I'll, I'll rewatch it with them I, I won't be too reluctant to put it on so it's a seven out of ten so of course we talked about this film and dissected it and should you folks wish to join us on one of our discussions or share your thoughts on the films we discuss here you can do so by shooting us an email that's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com follow us on Twitter where you can find us as Oscars Gold or on Facebook, where you can find us as Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We love hearing from you guys, and we appreciate the follow and support. Also, if you'd like to hear us discuss your favorite Oscar nominee or a film that you feel deserve to be part of the Golden Conversation, you can join our wonderful family of patrons on Patreon and check out the great tiers we have going on, on there. Of course, you also get to unlock our reviews of other films, such as the, Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, Singing in the Rain, Black Swan, Notorious, and many, many more. That's patreon.com slash Oscars and the big thank you of course to our wonderful patrons for their support so outside of the gold standard theater here uh zan where can folks find you when you're not here discussing best picture winners well they can find me with our friend charles skaggs either in uh ghostwood forest or the drunk cinema theater ghostwood where we talk about everything twin peaks and david lynch and everything tangentially related to twin peaks and david lynch and drunk cinema where we uh, enjoy our favorite beverages, adult beverages, while we do commentary on our uh, favorite, usually cult movies. Fabulous. And Rachel, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me with the Five-ish Fangirls podcast, where a weekly pop culture, geek culture, entertainment podcast, where we talk about all things geeky and nerdy from the female perspective. And we can be found pretty much wherever you find podcasts and at the fiveishfangirls.com where you can connect with all of our social media accounts and my personal ones as well. Awesome. And when it comes to me, folks, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more info about that, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if superhero movies are your speed, I do also host Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast. We discuss all superhero movies under the sun and uh, definitely going to be looking forward to the next review, which I kind of shared my thoughts with with uh, Rachel and Zan, which will be Supergirl, which I guess is uh, somewhat of a Halloween film, as you do get witches so i guess it is kind of halloweenish but yeah that's happiness and darkness and of course myself and the aforementioned charles skaggs can be found on the fandom zone discussing superhero tv shows and on titan talk the titans podcast where we are currently discussing the third season of titans and doom patrol 
And speaking of things to come next time on this show, we will be discussing the 1964 George Cooper film, My Fair Lady. So, Rachel and Zan, always a great, great time. This was, this was actually a rather, a rather fun and entertaining one I found. So, yeah, any hot takes when it comes to My Fair Lady? I haven't seen this in a long time. Um, it's, it has its, it's like Tom Jones. It has its moments. I'm sure I'll, I'll find, I'll find some enjoyment in it, in it again. Um, if, even if it's just me thinking about the Simpsons parody where Lisa pulls this on, uh, groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> and Rachel, you being a, the musical buff, are you familiar with this one? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I'm, and again, it's one that I've, seen once but it has been a long time and um you know as as catchy as some of the the songs are you know i could have danced all night and uh other wouldn't tunes it be like lovely, that yeah. yeah wouldn't wouldn't it be lovely um yeah i maybe don't not necessarily want to show my hand too early, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be, you know, as I'm rewatching this, be thinking about how there's another musical that really should have won mm-hmm. for that year. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be, I'm, that's definitely going to be part of the discussion and more. So, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with My Fair Lady. Until then, enjoy those movies and keep that popcorn hot. Ciao, my people.